delighted, I really am, to be given the chance to preach to you guys uh, both this Sunday and next on where we're headed as a church together. God has been very good to us. I don't want you guys to miss that. You should not be surprised by that. He's like that, infinitely perfect, right, in his goodness toward his covenant people. We say that he has poured out his buckets of grace on us. Our arms are are full, and for about a year, our space has been um, filled up. So now we find ourselves together in a position of having to steward really well the grace of God and the blessing of God that he has chosen to pour out on us. The way we're going to do that together going forward is what we're calling multiplication. Over the next 18 months or so, uh, we will be multiplying out from having one of these Sunday communities to having three of these Sunday communities. This week, I'm going to deal with you about multiplying wisely. I'm going to be preaching at your head, talking with you about why this would be a strategy in our context and what this is going to look like. In two weeks, we're going to deal with multiplying holy, and I'm going to be preaching right at your hearts, and together we are going to be naming the sins that loom and threaten to stain us and trip us up as we transition through this kind of a thing, and we're going to call you guys to fight sin with us as hard as you can. That's next week. This week is, how are we going to do it? I will not say everything that I would like to say or we'd be here way through this afternoon's football games, Um, but my prayer this week has been that what I say would be the essentials and that what I say would be really helpful for you as you think about what is this going to look like as we do together. Let's start with God's Word. I'll be reading the bookends now of Acts chapter 2. Built into the middle of this is a beautiful sermon that I would love you to familiarize yourself with. But I want us to hear the frame that surrounds the birth of Jesus' church that we continue to run with thousands of years later. Acts chapter 2, God's word, so helpful and eternally true. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, are not all these who are speaking from Galilee? How is it that we hear each of them in in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, 
Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now I'm going to jump down to verse 42, the book end at the end. And they, these disciples, this new church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon many, every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's God's word. Let's pray together. Father, would you be kind to us? We know that you are infinitely, perfectly kind to your people. I pray that our ears would be unplugged in a spiritual way today. That our sins would be corrected and confessed and repented of. And that faith would jump from the soul of every man and woman and son and daughter in this room. And that the fame of Jesus Christ and no one else would be known through this church. Hear my prayer by your spirit. Come and answer, we pray together. Amen. All right, we've got some work to do today. Let me start by establishing whether or not we are just foolish to be giving so much attention to the life of a church. Let's start there. If I went and gathered a representative crowd that kind of looked and felt and sounded, felt and sounded like just north of Boston people that we are among and love deeply. And I was to ask them, survey them and say, hey, what one institution would be the best one in this world for you to be a part of, to be connected to, to be identified with, to carry the membership card of? If I said, Hey, what institution is the most influential and the most meaningful in this life? It would just be so great to be in on that reality. What would the answers be? Well, we live right near this academic mecca of Boston, and so definitely somebody would raise their hands and say, it's the university, it's academia, this is the the ultimate place to be, it's the institution. To have a title with a lot of letters in it, P's and H's and D's, to have these words of published or tenured be a part of your life story, to be a part of a faculty, this is where it would be at. The university has influence over culture, impact over policy. It's shaping the minds of the future leaders of this world. Nothing could be better. Then you'd have somebody else say, time out, I disagree. This is Massachusetts. The institution is government. That's where all the power 
and all the influence and all the fame is. That's where you want to be. The Kennedys. Come on, Matt. That's the one. Somebody else might say, no, you guys are all wrong. It's the media in this new world. This is where it's at. That's the institution that it's best to be connected to and a part of. Hollywood, the music industry, the news networks, Twitter, Facebook, that's where we want to be. Others would say, you're all crazy. It's corporate America. The superintendent that I work with, his daughter works for Apple. When he told me this, he, he said it with such reverence. He said, Matt, Beth's working for Apple. And she's working on a print driver for the iPod. What was his point? There's nothing better for a mid-20s American than to be in corporate America with Apple or Google or Amazon or Microsoft or Grapevine Hill. Business is where it's at. That's where you want to be. Somebody else might say, you're all crazy. It's pro sports. Can you imagine being an athlete Or working for the Sox or the Celts or the Pats. The influence over millions of minds. You can't even get through lunch without Dave Symington checking the score every 11 seconds. Feel that power and influence. If we could be anywhere, it would be in pro sports. Okay, the list goes on and on. I could keep going. But I can tell you one institution of which a crew of Bostonians is not going to mention as the one above any other that you would long to be a part of, connected to, and identified with. And that is the church. If you were in that survey and you raised your hand and you threw that one out there, the church is it, the response would be something in the vein of, Matt, X is a very dangerous chemical and you need to stop using. Did you just say church? Maybe your average Bostonian would see church as a helpful addendum to a religious life if you felt like it, and you could get free on Sunday mornings, uh, a helpful aid to devotion. That would probably be the highest view of the church. Many would just chuckle and laugh at something so lame. Others might attack you and have a very harsh negative reaction to that word or that concept. Many would say, hey, Any institution, any other institution, is better than and more important than and more vibrant than and more influential than the static and lifeless and pathetic and archaic institution called the church. But if you went and asked this question to the living God, and if you went and asked this question of his word, you would hear something totally different. The scripture insists that the church is the central reality of the activity and the intentions of God for this world and for all of history. That the church is the one reality that's got eternity about it. That the church has the keys to the kingdom of of heaven, man, opening the way to life and salvation through the declaration of the gospel to all who would believe. That the church gathers, not just before a stadium or a couple of million TV viewers, the church gathers right now 
before the living God, weekly joining the angelic assembly, bridging heaven and earth in a preview of what will be forever. That the church is of such value and importance that God took on flesh and bled and died for her. That the church is the bride of Christ who will feast with him forever. That the church is mother to a kingly race. That the church punches Satan in the mouth and kicks down the gates of hell in the name of Jesus. That the church is the temple of God where God's spirit dwells. That the church is the receiver of all the promises of God. That the church is the divine instrument that God has chosen to announce and embody the gospel of grace. That your church, with all of her faults, all of her inconsistencies, and all of her immaturities, and all of her lack of worldly appeal and lack of worldly coolness, and lack of worldly applause, and worldly power, will outlast, and outlive, and influence them all. The church. All other institutions have an end date attached to them. They will be no more, but the church endures as the body of Christ and the people of God forever. Now, sometimes, nobody shouted or yelled, this is a very quiet church, man alive. All right. Thank you. Sometimes we hear all that, we should just be excited and thankful. Sometimes we grab the wrong end of this doctrine and we hurt somebody with it. When we say those things about the church, um, we're not saying that means that the only job worth having is as a pastor or a worship leader. We're not saying that. We're not saying that the only thing we should therefore do with all of our time revolves around church stuff. We're not saying that. We're not saying that it means that all these other institutions that I've mentioned are necessarily useless or evil or satanic. Not at all. But it does mean at least two things that I need you to hear as we begin into this today. The first one is this, that whatever other institutions become enmeshed in your life story, can be any of the ones that I've mentioned and some more. The church needs to be there. It must. If you bail on membership and participation in the covenant community of God, you bail on the one community that influences and transcends them all. And if you were to rise to the highest levels of success in any other institutions of this life, Without Jesus' church and his people being central to who you are, you would have missed out on what God is up to in this world. And the second thing is this. The truth means that, man, we should work hard together to do this church thing really, really well. It's worth it. It's worth it. We should take it seriously because of who the church is called to be and what is at stake. By faith, I need you to believe that we are not on a fool's errand here, but we are, by God's grace, about the work of God, eternal work. And so we want to do it wisely. Let's stick that stake in the ground. Okay, now before I jump into our plans for doing that wisely together with you guys, who we love deeply, 
I want to make sure that we're solid on the essentials that have got us to this point that we're at together. We like to say that as Jesus' church, we're about three key things at Seven Mile Road. The gospel, community, and mission. All three of these are super clearly visible in the text that we've read already together. Just want to make sure you see them as essential to the life of any church and this church right here that we're building together. So the first is the gospel. Yeah. By that we mean the good news, the declaration, the surprising announcement, the words, the statement, the truth about what God has done in his grace through the perfect life and atoning death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ from the dead. This gospel, this gospel word is the central content of our life together. We are always going back to the gospel. We are saying it to each other. We are hearing it. We are believing it. We are loving it. We see this idea all over the scriptures and even in this text that we have before us. Let's make sure we don't miss this pillar. They gathered together in this text in obedience to Jesus and the Spirit of God fell up on them. And what was the result? It was words. It was declaration. It was preaching. It was announcement. It was gospel. The text said when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as God's Spirit gave them utterance. Speaking in this particular text is not the tongues of, man, I should have bought that Honda. Speaking in this text, it's the tongues of actual other languages of the people who were in the listening crowd before them. By God's grace, the gospel exploded from one tribe and one language to all of them that were there. And what were they saying? What were they speaking in those other tongues? The works of God. In other words, the first thing that this church was about was the declaration of the gospel. Then we see Peter standing up with the 11 around him and saying, men of Judea and Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. That's the same Greek word in the first part for saying loudly and clearly, quiet, listen, I have good news. And Peter preaches a sermon to them and it ends with these words and with many other words, he bore witness to Jesus. And then what was the very first item of the list at the end that we read that this community became about? The first thing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So I just need you to hear and be reminded the gospel word is not going anywhere. It will be the central content of the life of our church. Good. And so will be gospel community. We might say that the word is the content of who we are, Community is the context for getting a hold of that word and making it take root in our souls. They didn't just throw some words around together and then go their separate ways. The gospel word birthed in them a very deep love for each other. And they began to share their lives together in some deep and beautiful and intense ways. Did you feel that at the end of the text that I read? They are gathering together big in the temple. They are gathering together small in their homes. Their souls are being bound together by the apostles' teaching. 
They're sharing meals together, confessing sin together, hearing the word together. They're giving up their possessions for each other so that everyone's needs could be met. They are hanging out and they are loving it. Gospel births necessarily really deep community. And lastly, all of this word and community, it's got this outward thrust to it, this missional posture to it. Everything that happened to this community overflowed the banks of this little community and flooded into the streets of Jerusalem and eventually into the world, and it's found its way down here to Highland Avenue. Brent read Acts 1. What did Jesus say was the purpose that he was going to send his spirit upon these disciples and birth his church? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You feel that? That's what God is doing with his gospel and his community, sending them to bear witness to the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so everything that this community does explodes outwards to others. And I love the last verse that we read. And so the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I know that's some review. This is what Jesus' church is all about. You should be pumped and excited about it. And so this is what our church is going to be all about. Now to get there, And to do gospel and community and mission well, over the years, we together have had to give some serious attention to different things in the life of our church, especially because we were sort of starting from scratch in some ways. So I'll give you some examples. For example, we had to figure out how are we going to worship together? What's it going to look like when the community comes together? How can we make the gospel word central to our time when we're together? And so we've built this liturgy that is historical and contextualized and centered on word and sacrament, and we've done that together. We had to figure out how are we actually going to care for each other's souls in this pursuit of the gospel. So we worked on smaller communities centered around word and prayer and soul care where we could go deep with each other and be communities about the word. We said, hey, how are we going to shape leaders? There's a lot of people that need to be discipled and led and cared for. So we've developed leadership tracks centered around these essentials. We've said, how are we going to do mission? And so we're working on transitioning our smaller communities to being more engaged with their neighbors and seeing the fragrance of Christ just flood just north of Boston. We're constantly asking ourselves as a church, how can we be more faithful to the word, more faithful to community, more faithful to to mission? And we've moved a lot of gravel together in these eight years. In the midst of doing all that together, something happened. We ran out of room for our Sunday community to actually gather. Now today there's some seats. That's because there's about 50 of us who were wusses and stayed in our pajamas at home because there was a couple of flakes. But normally, you guys have been sitting on each other's laps in this room for worship. And so we are now faced with a new challenge. How are we going to manage the growth that God has brought to our big community in faithful ways that remain about the word and community and mission. Okay, so by the fall, we had kind of whittled this down to two different possible scenarios. One we were calling, we kind of like the sound of this, 
mega seven mile road. And we said, hey, what we could do is find a space that's bigger than this, is still here in Malden, that lets us be one really big Sunday community in one big location with just one pulpit, one pastoral team that had dozens and dozens of smaller communities, but everybody would drive to Malden on Sunday to gather around word and sacrament. That would have been cool. The other option we had talked about called Multiply Seven Mile Road. Instead of working toward this getting any bigger and becoming one big Sunday community, we would shoot to have a few mid-sized Sunday church communities about the size that this church has become, um, littered throughout the just north of Boston area. There would still be dozens of smaller communities, but these would not all come to church in the same place on a Sunday. And as these Sunday communities hit about 150 or 200 adults, we'd keep multiplying out in that kind of a way. All right, so just when our brain is fried and we're thinking about all these things and reading all these books and asking all these questions and putting more seats and more seats and more seats until Gordon and Elsa are back in the hallway, um, we got an email, and it's Joan Ryan, and she's telling me that there's a church in Melrose on the Fellsway that was having its last service, and she knows that we're out of space, and maybe that could work. At this point, we had Cornerstone Real Estate Advisors on retainer for us, and you know if we're paying you money, we're going to make you work. And so we had these brothers chasing every lead within 20 miles of this building right here. And I go over to visit this space with these guys and saw the building. And I remember standing outside, this was September, October, and saying to Eric Keyes, yo. And Eric Keyes is the whitest person you've ever met in your life. So I just led with yo to see what his reaction would be. And I said, yo, this building is absolutely perfect. It's the right size, it's got the right feel, it's got the right potential for office space, it's got six bathrooms. You have no idea how much that excites me, Eric, but it's in the wrong city. I said, if you could pick this building up and drop it in Malden, we'd be buying it tomorrow, but this is a seven or an eight or a $900,000 building. It's too expensive for us to multiply here and maintain a Sunday community doing mission where we are down in Malden. That's when things got Holy Ghost crazy. You know how that rolls sometimes? And the real estate guys forwarded me an email in which they basically said that the Christian and Missionary Alliance who owned the building was really excited about the idea that it would remain a gospel-centered church. And what do you guys think about $272,000 for the building? Now, you're looking at the guy who saves his paper cups from McDonald's because the sign does say unlimited refills. It does. And so buying a 9,000, unlimited, Laurel, buying a 9,000 square foot, there's no time limit on that sign. Sheesh, you're making me feel bad. Buying a 9,000 square foot building in a city where an 800 square foot ranch costs $272,000 was quite exciting to me. And you guys know that the rest at this point is history. Uh, We somehow raised $153,775 in 40 days. 
deposited it in the bank. On my keys is a, a yellow banded key that opens the door of 84 Green Street. And so we own a second space. Okay, that's a joy and a surprise. And we're thankful for it. We are. What this means is this. We are not going to be mega seven mile road. We're going with multiply. And so over the next 16 or 20 months, we will transition from being a single Sunday seven mile road with a network of smaller communities to being three Sunday seven mile roads with an ever growing network of smaller communities. All right, let's talk about how this is going to work. Um, because there's going to be some difference between what it's going to look like for us to multiply a Sunday seven-mile road up to Wakefield and what it's going to look for us to multiply a Sunday seven-mile road to this space in Melrose. Let's start with Wakefield. Okay, you guys know Pastor Joey, right? Joey's been serving this church beautifully as a part of our pastor team for a good stretch of time now. We met Joey a few years back. He was leading a church plant up in Wakefield, and it is hard to do, and he was in a hard patch, very alone in a sense. And we knew each other because I was constantly striking him out in this softball league that we played in. All right, that's not quite true. And we talked, and I listened, if you can imagine that. I did. I listened. And, I, and at the end of our conversation, I said, Joey, talk with Natalie about you jumping into the pastor track that we run. I think that would be good for your soul. I think it would be really helpful for you to have a safe place to take a look at your life and your call and your ministry with some guys who are for you and about the same thing that you're about. Give us that year. And he did that, and we just absolutely fell in love with these guys and with God's grace to them. And then at the end of that track, Kevin and I sat with Joey in the blue room over here, and we asked him to do something really hard. Uh, Even in my prep, I cried like a baby getting ready to say this, so I'll try and press through it. We said, Joey, uh, and this was rough, Kevin will vouch, we said, we think that uh, the best thing might be for you to basically close your church, and we kind of said it slow like that. And jump in with us here in the life of what's happening and get healthy and then maybe eventually multiply back out. And Joey did something so humble, um, so humble. And you know that humility is the key mark of of Jesus and his gospel. And uh, he said, all right, I'll do it. And that was hard if you can imagine. And maybe I only get that. In this room as a church planner, Jeremy too may feel that with me. Um, But he actually did it. And it has been so delightful and so worth it for them and and for the life of our church. And he has thrived here with us. And we still have another year and a half or so of him serving us in this way, pastoring among us. But then he is going to lead the planting of a church in Wakefield again. And this time, he's going to do it as a seven-mile road pastor, leading a seven-mile road church. That seven-mile road is going to be what we are calling a distinct plant. Here's what we mean by that. We're going to share a name. We're going to share a DNA. 
We're going to share the maroon and the black. Is that right? We're going to share our theological convictions. Um, He will have office space incubating his work at the Green Street Building. They will be tightly connected to us. But it will be an autonomous and independently governed and led church plant with its own lead pastor, its own lead team of pastors, its own pulpit, doing its own missional thing up in Wakefield. Now that church is not going to be formally launched on Sundays for about 16 to 20 weeks, April or September of 2012. But I need everybody to hear this super clearly. The planting of the Wakefield Church starts now. In fact, it has started. It's in process. Uh, Joey is recruiting leaders to work with him in that plant. He is free to be recruiting core team members from among our congregation where Wakefield makes sense for them to be on Sundays to begin following his lead and planting that church. There's a smaller community up there that will be multiplying We're doing this, and we're not doing this later. We're doing this now, even though you won't have your own Sunday deal for about a year and a half. That's Seven Mile Road in Wakefield. That's a distinct plant under his leadership, and we just could not be more excited about that. Okay. Something slightly different is going to be happening with this Melrose space, Malden space. Unlike Wakefield, which will be distinct plant, beginning this April, if we can pull this off, that's the goal, Malden and Melrose are going to be what we are calling shared sites. Okay, let me break those two words down for you. I'll start with the word shared. Although Malden and Melrose will gather in two different locations on Sundays, they're going to feel like a single church in a lot of ways over the next few years. So, for example, the preaching is going to be shared. When you go to church on Sunday, whether it's in the Malden space or in the Melrose space, the same pastor will be preaching the same sermon from the same text on the same day. This is really important for us to hear and understand because our deep hope is that the pulpit and the ministry of the word will be an anchor in this season of volatile change. Uh, There will be no cherry picking which service you go to or which church you're a part of because of the pulpit. That's not going to happen. We're going to rip the legs out from under that. It doesn't matter here or or there, same day, same preacher, same ministry of the word, same preaching team, same service, same amount of prep. This part's not going to change shared. Now, the plan is to have staggered service times, so nobody gets stuck getting up real early or meeting real late. Uh, The intention now is to gather here for worship, if this is your church, at 10, over in Melrose at 11. The one person who will physically be with both communities on the Lord's Day is the pastor who will be preaching. So we're going to buy this Ford Mustang and we're going we're gonna to put these racing stripes on it and big sevens on the side. And it's going to be like Vin Diesel and the Fast and the Furious. And we're going to be flying up the Fells Way. That'll be some work for whoever's preaching. But the point is shared, shared pulpit. A ton of stuff is going to be shared like that. 
same pastoral team, the six of us and whoever else we call in these years, shared membership, shared budget, shared website, shared leadership tracks, shared bank account, shared decision-making. You feeling that? A lot of this is going to feel like we're moving to two services, you guys, and they happen to be three and a half miles apart. That's the word shared, but we're calling them shared site because the site word starts to get at, but there's going to be some differences. The two of them will be separate from each other in a sense. And some things are going to have to be locally owned and locally led because of geographic reasons. So Sunday operations, that's going to have to be locally locally led, right? We're going to need two bands leading us in worship, and they'll be singing the same songs, but Justin can't physically be in two places with this band. We're going to need two tech teams, two greeting teams, two nursery teams. We're going to have to double that and break a sweat to get there. Assimilation of new people is going to have to be owned at the two different sites, Somebody walks into the Malden Church, this will be the community that they know. Somebody walks into Melrose, they might not know about this community. And mission, to a degree, over these months and years, will get more and more contextualized based on the tribe that's closest to where these Sunday seven-mile roads exist. So there will be local leadership, and there will be shared big seven-mile road leadership. Malden and Melrose will be shared sites. Okay. Now the million dollar question. We all go to Seven Mile Road Malden for the next three months. And then what happens in April? Who goes where on Sundays? And why is that breakout going to happen? Okay. So the key idea with populating the Sunday Seven Mile Road churches is this. Mission friendly geography. We want you worshiping Jesus on Sundays at a location that is most conducive to mission for a smaller community that you're a part of and for the circle of life that you run in. Um, And so here's how we're going to do that. The Malden site is going to be reserved for those who call this geographic stretch right here, Malden, east and west and south, their home. There are a lot of you. There's a lot of you. And so we need you to stay here and continue the mission of Seven Mile Road Malden as you have been doing. Uh, This is really exciting for this space right here. If you've been with us, you know the change that has happened over the years. This church, when it first was planted, was very much about the gospel And very much about Malden, Highland Ave, Medford, Somerville, Everett, this track right here. Over the years, what has happened is we have stayed about the gospel, but we've gotten a lot broader in the people that have said, I got to go to church here. Please don't tell me I can't go even if I live over here. And so we've gotten broader. This is going to enable us now to see this church here continue to be about the gospel and be even easily, more easily and more so about the souls in this trek of land around this church. And so we're creating the space on Sundays for that to happen in this belt here, Malden, East, West, and South, um, saying that if that's not your crew or your place, we need you to bounce out of these seats 
up to Melrose so that this place can be renewed in its local mission and the same thing can get started up there. For some of you guys, when you bounce out of here, it will be 84 Green Street until you die with us because that's going to be the best spot for you missionally and geographically. You will set your roots down in the life of that Sunday, Seven Mile Road, and you will serve Jesus and you will be about word and community and mission until we bury you. For some of you, if Wakefield is the right spot where you're going to land, then that means you bouncing out of Malden, being with us in Melrose for a season until you guys have your thing happening in Wakefield on a Sunday. If neither Malden nor Wakefield nor Melrose is a right fit for you, we always say if you can find a great church closer to your home and serve that pastoral team and those people, do it. But if Seven Mile Road's in your DNA and you got to be with us, then we're also asking you to bounce with us to Melrose. That's because that space is bigger, there's more bathrooms, it's more central, and that can be a catch-all as we continue to multiply over these years. So uh, that's the feel for why and who would begin thinking about where becomes my Sunday home. Okay, there's a ton of unanswered questions to that part of it. Like, will Malden and Melrose be shared sites forever? That's an awesome question that we don't have an answer to. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe eventually these churches will grow so big and healthy, and God will raise up local lead pastors to lead in the pulpit. We don't know the answer to that yet. We're open to being led by God's Spirit. What is local leadership going to look like? Who's going to own the operations of the local places and see member and pastoral care being done healthy? We're working really hard on that. What if Matt drives the Mustang off the side of the road into the woods between here and, and Green Street and we can't find his body? Life will go on in some way. We'll, we'll figure these things out. But let me summarize what we do know, and I want you to hear it. In April, there will be a healthy Sunday community in Malden for all seven milers who are living life and doing small community east, west, and south of here. You will have the same drive on Sundays. We're not jacking with your service time. It'll still be at 10. You'll have the same preacher. You can sit in the same seat if you would like to continue that practice. But you will have a tighter missional focus as a community. In April, there will also be a Sunday seven-mile road community in Melrose for folks who would be most missional, worshiping out of 84 Green Street in Melrose. For others who are more north, eventually that will be Wakefield. And for others, by God's grace, as we continue to multiply out, we will continue to find ways to have this strategy of tons of small community and healthy seven-mile big community centered around word and each other and mission. Okay, let me end with just two things that have to happen if this whole thing is going to work. So if you're sitting there nodding your head and going, I am about this, let's roll, let's do it. Somebody tell me what I have to be up to. Let me say these two things to you. And again, these are practical. I will be preaching to your soul next week and calling you to fight and avoid and refuse sin in this process. But let me say these two because they're very important. Uh, I'll drop a little alliteration on you because they're both S's. 
One is smaller communities. Uh, we have up to this point called these our soul care communities. I have spent the last 20 minutes casting vision for big Sunday community because today's the day when we got to do that, right? We own the building. We got four months. We need to get on the same page. But this strategy will not work if we are not also killing it with our smaller communities, continuing to be what they have been, and also becoming more local and more missional. Right now, there's no room in this Sunday gathering, um, but are you guys feeling what I'm saying today, that in April, that's going to change dramatically, and our church is not going to shrink in total, but the sites will each be a lot emptier. You feeling that? And we want these Sunday sites to fill back up to the glory of God, not only because people are clicking on our website or because you invited a friend, but because our smaller communities that are connected geographically to a Sunday church near them are engaging their neighbors with the gospel, are inviting these people into the shared life that you have together that feels like Acts 2. This is our Soul Care Leadership team's great ambition in this year is to see that happen better and to see our smaller communities becoming front doors, entryways into our bigger communities. So this is already happening in Wakefield. I love this. Before that church ever worships together on the Lord's Day around word and sacrament, before they ever do that, they will have a number of smaller communities thriving in Wakefield, sharing life, living missionally, serving as front doors to the bigger thing that's going to happen. Are you feeling that? Um, We need that to not only happen under Joey's leadership up there, but to begin to be what happens as we are also multiplying out Sunday communities. So I'll give you some examples so you can get some flesh to this and then just keep asking questions. Grace and I, Rob and Patty, Doug and Tracy, we live in Melrose. And so we're going to be doing smaller community together. And our hope is not only to grow deeper in the gospel through word, prayer, and soul care, but to share our lives together in such a way that all these people that we know in Melrose can be invited into our friendships, which are rooted together because of Jesus' grace to us and introduced to that grace and the Sunday community that we're a part of so that the fragrance of Christ can start to fill our souls, our living rooms, our networks, and eventually the city that we're a part of. Jeremy and Rachel and Gordon and Ilsa live up in the Granada Highlands apartments in Malden. They're seeking to do that same kind of thing. Love each other deeply. Be in community and be outward in that community, inviting friends into this graced and shared life that they have together as an entryway into Jesus' community. Kip and Beth, Braden and Stephanie leading a soul care community down in Cambridge. And that crew lives down in that Medford, Cambridge area and able to do that. Mike's leading a group that's got Mike and Z and Grant and Jesse and Denise and Andrew, Molden folks and some others doing smaller community together. I could now run down a list that's very long in names. If your name is not on the list, but Seven Mile Road is home for you, 
we need you to be finding your way into sharing Acts 2 kind of gospel-centered, missional community together if these three sites are going to thrive in this plan. Now, I know that that is straight up impossible for some of you, and so we never say this in a legalistic kind of intense way. Uh, But this is one of those deals where the exception proves the rule. And the rule, and I use that word in the best of cases, is that to be a part of this church is to share my life with others in smaller community, if at all possible. All right, so don't just hear from me today. It's just about Sunday. It's about you and a small community of people that surround you going deep in the gospel, inviting others into that, and seeing that start to fill up places of worship on the Lord's day. Okay, last thing, final S. It's our complete and utter dependence upon the Spirit of God for any of this to bear any fruit at all. We need to hear this clearly. So you guys know that we're not afraid to use our minds and to read books and to study our culture and to analyze ecclesiastical organizational theory and to do all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, it is only God by his spirit who can animate any of these plans at all. We can plant, we can water, but then we just kind of stand there and scratch our heads. And unless God makes it grow, we're hopeless. And this is why Acts 2 is so exciting to us. Jesus promised that he would pour out his spirit. And that promise is as rock solid for Seven Mile Road as it is in the texts that we read about from the scriptures. And so we have to be a praying people in this process, asking God by his spirit to do supernatural work that we cannot do ourselves, asking God to bless our work for his glory, for our joy, asking God to be kind to us so that we can avoid sin and not be led into temptation, asking God to do the miraculous work of taking silly conversations and words and puffs of air from our mouth and saving sinners and changing destinies and building churches that make the fame of Jesus' name known in our time and our place and our generation. We can't make that happen. I can't say it right. We can't sing it right. We can't organize it right. But God loves sinners And he promises his spirit to empower us. And so we've got to ask him to come and do what we cannot do together. So this week, be prepping your soul to be confronted with its sinfulness. And we will nail that stuff together next week and not let it trip us up. And also be saying, God, your spirit has to get involved. I get the plans. It's going to be organizationally tricky for a while, but that means nothing if the Spirit of God would drop in conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment and a beautiful movement of God could happen. I figure we might as well ask for it. We might as well believe for it. We might as well prepare for it because I don't know how Jesus' fame could be known any more than many sinners coming to saving grace because of his work. Let's start to pray in those directions right now.
Father, we're a needy people. But you are an all-sufficient God. We do not have the talent or the money or the smarts to do church right. But we've got this promise that your spirit will be with us and come up on us and empower us to be your witnesses. And so, Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. That's what we're looking for. That you would make this a holy place wherever it gathers, big and small, Malden, Melrose, Wakefield, that it would be a holy community. That every soul that is marked out to be a part of your kingdom would hear and repent and believe and obey. That supernatural work that is way beyond us would get done. Hear us crying out and asking for that move of your spirit. We've seen you do it. We've read about you do it. Would you come and do it again? Do it again. Make your fame and your glory and your beauty known again. Make us people who receive it rightly. Make us pastors who shepherd rightly. Make us sinners who become saints. Teach us to share our lives together in a way that lights up the world. We are planting and we are watering, but if you don't make it grow, we just stand around like fools. And so come and make the gospel grow is our prayer. Would you keep us very tightly bound together? Would you keep us very tightly committed to your word and to each other and to your mission, O oh God? Would you hear these prayers? Would you hear the many that will pray? Would you come do something, do something way more beautiful than I just stumbled through saying? Would you do it because our joy would be filled up? Would you do it because your glory would be known and it should be? Father, we know that you intend for the, the name of your son to be famous in the nations, in all tribes. There's a tribe just north of this city that desperately needs your grace. Be abundant with it, I pray. I pray. Amen. Amen. Keep praying. Keep praying.